From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. In each episode of this podcast, we talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, Tammy Katzoff spoke with Emily Bollinger, class of 2007, a green coffee logistics manager for Pete's Coffee. As we do with most of these interviews, we began the conversation by asking how and when Emily became interested in her occupation. Even before I went to Muhlenberg, I was very interested in the environment and the outdoors. And, and so when I went to Muhlenberg, I decided I'm like, well, I wanted to do environmental science. And this is 2007 and not all colleges and universities had an environmental science program. So that was my start, that was my trajectory. And so I was in the science class, you know, in chemistry, biology, environmental science, toxicology, all of those core classes. That was my basis, that's where I started from. I moved out to California about a year after I graduated from Muhlenberg. And I was, you know, brand new to the area. I was with my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband. <laughs> um, we stayed together all, all these years. So we moved out and I didn't have a job. So I signed up with a staffing company, temp company. And this was in 2008, which when the financial crisis hit. So it was a, obviously a great time to be, to be looking for work. But I lucked out. I got a temporary harvest job at a um, at a winery, an urban winery, not up in Napa, but in Oakland and Alameda. And they were interested in my lab science background and having an environmental angle to it. So I, I worked in a lab there in a wine lab, and um, that became a full time job at a different winery up in Napa. So I did that for about six years, and. After that time, I, I was just looking for something a little bit different. I was looking not necessarily to commute all the way up to, to Napa Valley every day. So this opportunity came up at Pete's Coffee. And when I looked at the job description, I was like, hmm, that's kind of what I do in wine, but it's with coffee. And that's basically how I wound up in the coffee industry. And then I could talk a little bit more about what exactly I do at, at a later point, but that's kind of how I went from having just a very a general science background in environmental science through working enology and viticulture, and then eventually taking what I learned there and, and segueing into, into coffee. So how long have you been at Pete's Coffee? Going on eight years. Yeah. So I've I've been there. I've been there. I've been in coffee longer than I was in wine when I worked in the wine industry. So what level did you start off as? What was your role when you started at Pete's and have you kind of worked your way up into different roles? When I was hired, I was an external hire. So I wasn't coming from within the company and I didn't have a specific coffee experience, but I did have the scientific background, but also I had some of the sensory background, which is required for coffee purchasing and quality control in addition, similar to wine. So I believe that they thought I would be a good candidate for an entry-level position because I did have some of the sensory experience and, but I could also be molded. I could be, I could be trained to look for certain things and look for certain qualities. 
I started out as a cupping, it was like a, the position was called cupping lab coordinator, which essentially meant I ran the cupping lab. When you assess the quality of coffee, coffee comes as green coffee when it's imported from coffee producing countries, Brazil, Colombia, Ethiopia. You have to roast the coffee, but you have to roast it not in a production sense, like getting ready to be put in bags on the shelf for consumers to buy, but you have to sample roast that coffee. It's usually a, a lighter roast. And what you're aiming to do when you sample roast coffee is you're trying to make all of the attributes. You don't want the roast to get in the way. You obviously have to roast it in order to cup it and assess it, but you have to make it all even. So when you're comparing a coffee from Colombia to say a, a coffee from Sumatra, you have to let the coffee kind of speak to its origin character. I guess that's the best way to describe it. So part of my job is I would sample roast the coffee all from all 25 countries that we, we source coffee from to a very similar level. And it was setting up cuppings. There's a whole procedure for pouring the water, breaking the crust, slurping. There's a whole protocol that's outlined that most coffee professionals use to assess the quality of coffee. So I was in charge of that, in charge of samples. We got green samples on a daily basis, pre-shipment samples, arrival samples, spot our first samples. So I was the organizer of all things cupping lab. That's where I started out. And up until I moved, I was part of the coffee quality cupping and assessment team. Our department's a green coffee because we are dealing with the purchases and the incoming green coffee. We're not in the production, the production outturn assessment of the coffee. So I was part of that team. So that's that's how we start every morning at, at the cupping table. Um, we cup anywhere from 10 to 30 coffees a day. And so that has been consistent with with my work throughout. And as I grew in my role and as the company grew as well, there was a need for someone to more closely monitor green coffee logistics. Global supply chains are very complex and coffee is no exception. So right now, my primary focus is on, are on supply chain, green coffee logistics, making sure we have the coffee that we need in time to roast, can't roast air, as we like to say, <laughs> and just keeping keeping an eye on that all the time. And I also do a little inventory management as well. What's your typical workday like from the time you start to the time you finish, if, if you do have a typical workday? It's not as romantic as now that I'm, I'm not in the office and I'm not sample roasting or or, or cupping coffee, because that, that part of my job is, is now left to our team who um, is still in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. But being on the East Coast has its advantages. I am not a coffee buyer, so I don't really need to deal so much with the coffee market. But being on the East Coast, the market opens at 930. It's a little bit more. The active times in coffee buying are mostly dictated by market open and market close. And that's something that my boss, who's the senior director of coffee purchasing, he, you know, that's his field, not, not necessarily mine, but 
in general on you know on the west coast trucking and and coffee production like most production of foodstuffs um wine included these take place earlier in the morning so the warehouses are open and starting their deliveries at 6 a.m. on the West Coast. So it's like nine o'clock here. So I can kind of get ahead of all of the movements that are happening on the West Coast and not have it be super early, super early here. So a lot of my days, you know, I'll go on, I'll, I'll check emails. Um, I'm constantly tracking shipments and monitoring inventory seeing what's coming in, seeing what's going out, because on a daily basis, we are shipping coffee from warehouses to our roasting plant. And that's my day-to-day. -day. I also do a little bit of pricing, you know, making sure invoices are matching contracts, green coffee contracts that, that are made in advance of, of the actual purchase and delivery of coffees. But that's, that's mostly what I do. For the past seven years, coffee has been a big part of your life. Was it a big part of your life before that? Were you a coffee drinker, coffee lover? I would have not put myself in a coffee connoisseur level. I was a, a fan. I, I guess I, I do drink coffee and I have, I've drank coffee since, since college. I grew up as a tea drinker though. That's so, but I was, I was a casual consumer of coffee until I started working for Pete's. Ironically, my husband was more of the the coffee snob before I became the expert in the family. Even before I started working in coffee, he had the scale and he had the grinder and he had the Chemex and he was doing the pour overs. And now we just drink so much coffee that we, we've even put the pour over to the wayside and we're like, we need, we need more coffee quicker than, than this method can afford us. It took my consumption to a, a different level completely when I actually started working and it became, it became my career. It, it literally runs through my veins. That's how I start each morning. And I don't think I drink more than two to three cups a day, but I enjoy it all day, every day. <laughs> Has the pandemic affected your job? And if so, how? I would say it's kind of affected my job in, in two different ways. One way is that when I was in California and I was working on my team in person, when the pandemic started, our group of five, there's five of us who do the, um, who are on the buying team and do the, the quality assessment of incoming green coffee. We split our team in two and we had rotations. Coffee is considered part of food supply chain. So in that sense, it was considered essential work. So myself, in addition to our team at the roasting plant who actually roasted the coffee on a, on a daily basis, that was more of a production environment. But in terms of like a corporate environment, we were still part of the, the supply chain. And you can't do that work at your home because you probably don't have a coffee roaster. You can cup coffee and assess coffee at home. Um, if you have the right cups and spoons, but you would, that doesn't really solve the problem of roasting the coffee. So there were two of us in it at any one time on rotation from March of 2020 until I had my last day in the office, which was at the end of June, just two months ago. 
on the times we weren't on rotation, I was working from home. On the days I was working from home, I was able to deal with mostly monitoring those incoming shipments, logistics, inventory. But on the days I was in the office, I was the sole roaster, setter upper, cupper, breaker downer, cleaner upper, blogger, do, you know, something that had assigned, been assigned to someone else on my team. I was the primary person for my rotation in doing that. So that took an adjustment because, you know, on some weeks I would fall way behind on, on you know, logistics stuff because I was in the office and, and I would, then I'd catch up and then I'd have to go back into the office again. The second way that the pandemic really changed my work is that at the very beginning of the pandemic, we were reacting to all of the, um, the panic buying. So that was a really interesting puzzle to solve. We actually have our own fleet, our DSD, direct store delivery fleet. Um, so we stock our own coffees. So those first few months of the pandemic, making sure that there was coffee on shelves where other companies there were not because they rely on other distributors to, mm. to stock their coffee. Everyone went, worked overtime and it was great to see pictures in stores of coffee shelves where everything had been bought out but there was pizza there on the shelf and it wasn't because it was bad and people weren't buying it it's because our team was able to actually get in and resupply the retailers which was it was great and it was it was a proud moment but then something kind of like a lagging effect of the pandemic has been global supply chains there's container shortages, there's, there's major, major port congestion. It kind of has to do with, you know, shipping routes and, and shipping routes where ships are able to get bookings or not able to get bookings. That has to do with empty containers and where are the empty containers and people want to send containers from China to the United States. Like they don't, they're like, oh, you know, Africa, like, why were we going to send this container on this, you know, two-month journey from Africa to, to the East Coast of the United States? It's very complex. And then you have COVID outbreaks at warehouses, both domestic and foreign strikes in Colombia, and also COVID-related concerns in Colombia, Brazil, big hot spot recently. So, um, it's been quite a puzzle and it's been it's been a really interesting time to be in supply chain and logistics. Overall, not necessarily because of COVID, what are the most challenging aspects of your job and what are the most rewarding aspects of your job? I sometimes feel that my job is to, is to kind of just like poke people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is we have many we don't buy the coffee directly we we buy it through importers the importers assume the risk of of shipping coffee or of importing coffee those importers are also the ones that are their job is to to book the coffee to arrange shipment make sure it gets to us in its contracted delivery period some days it feels that i spend most of my days emailing traffic groups at importers. Um, some of them are big multinational companies. Some of them are smaller and be like, 
where's this? Where's this? Where's this? And as we've seen, kind of the global shipping delays amount to, you know, several, several week delays. Kind of the hardest thing is giving my team an accurate portrait of of like what what our book looks like and whether we're due to run out of anything or if anything's at risk and just keeping everything updated like every container of coffee purchased which for a company like Pete's it's, it's not as much as Starbucks but there's a lot to monitor and a lot of moving parts and compounding delays make things really difficult but on the same token kind of the most rewarding thing is when everything in terms of our supply chain can go off without a hitch and we don't get any questions from our roasting team be like, oh, where's this? Or we're out of that, or we're out of that. It's kind of like a no news is good news thing. You don't you don't get praised a lot for making sure that the coffee is steadily coming in, but it's a sign that you're doing your job if if there are no emergencies, if there are no emergencies and if it if it seems easy, it's because I'm doing my job and my team's doing my job. And that's the that's the most rewarding thing. For anyone who's listening, whether they're a Muhlenberg alum or not, and they want to do what you do or work in your industry, what advice or guidance would you give them? Well, I think, and I think many people tend to fall into jobs. They don't necessarily seek them out. Some people do, you know, sometimes when you're 18, you're like, I want to be an eye doctor. And you go through all the school and you become an eye doctor. That's not always the case. So as I mentioned before, my route was a little bit circuitous, like I was doing environmental science, but then I, I changed locations. So I moved to California. So I was in a different area and wound up in an industry that um, was very, you can't work at a winery in any state in the US. You have to be in certain, certain areas um, and being close proximity to Napa was that. So I would say, take advantage of opportunities that are maybe not exactly what you want to do, but adjacent to a goal that you have. Hmm. So I never intended on being someone who worked like in a sensory profession. I was kind of an outdoorsy person and uh, thought I wanted to work as an environmental scientist or a conservationist. And I had a little bit of exposure to viticulture and vineyards through my work at a winery, but that wasn't the primary focus. And I just became like, oh, okay. I, I taste wine as part of my job and I really liked it. And then I had an opportunity to do sensory work, not with wine, but with coffee. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> you can also do a very similar sensory work in chocolate. Chocolate processing is is very similar to coffee processing. The you know the fermentation of coffee at origin and how it's shipped in bags and and roasted here. It's very similar to coffee. So my suggestion would be to take an opportunity that might not be like an exact match, but if you can find a way 
to find your passion through through a something that's kind of close and just take opportunities like free cuppings, any type of sensory evaluation. There's definitely like food science majors. Um, a lot of people that I worked with who worked in like R&D uh, sensory, they have like food science backgrounds. Even if you don't have access to like a full degree in that, you can usually find continuing education classes, at least um, mm. when I was in California, like UC Davis is well known for its its wine program and its coffee program and its beer making program. That would be that would be my suggestion. This episode of 2400 Chew was produced by Tammy Katzoff from the Muhlenberg College Career Center. It was recorded remotely and engineered in the studios of WMUH Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band. <laughs>